Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Maurice O'Keefe. Over the years, while working with Irish Life and Lore, I've interviewed many people whose careers were in the music business. And this week's podcast is a remarkable story of one of those great musicians, Billy Curtin. He was born into a musical family in Tralee and he started to play the clarinet at the age of 12 and never put it down until he passed away in 2012. He played in a time when there was great change in the style of music playing in the ballrooms up and down the country. I met Billy in Tralee in 2004. My guest is Billy Curtin from Tralee, a musician, and uh, I've been wanting and waiting to catch up with you, Billy, for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> You're about the only one, Marcus. <laughs> when you were growing up, mm. uh, the inspiration for your music, were you, did you start at a very young age? You well, it all started with the tin whistle. I was about eight or nine years of age, above in CBS in Edward Street, and we used to play the tin whistles up there. And uh, as you, you know, the tin whistle with its six holes. And then I said, a clarinet? Well, that's got six holes as well, apart from other things. So I badgered my mother. I said, I- I've got to get a clarinet. I've got to have one. She says, Billy, are you out of your mind? Those things are about 12 pounds. <laughs> of course, that was a fortune of those things. Uh, that would be about 1950, 50, 51, 52. So eventually she got me a second-hand one. She got it for four pounds. Oh, it, it robbed her purse. But we got it. And I, uh, I used to go up every Wednesday to St. Joseph's Industrial School here up in Castle. They had a brass and reed band up there at the time, and there was a man called Cantlin. He used to give the lessons. He was a fine bandmaster. And myself and Eddie Sullivan and John Sullivan, the three of us used to go up every Wednesday evening and he would give us free lessons. We didn't, and, uh, and he, he done a fantastic job. We got into our instruments. We enjoyed the lessons. Uh, we were learning from him. And then months later, then I went with another gentleman here in town. He was a fabulous saxophone player called Mike Flahav, Mick Flahav, Mickey Flahav. He was affectionately known as... And he put me onto the dance music side of it, you know, where it was marches before that military type stuff, brass and reed marching and all that. But my uh, Flahav, he put me onto the sort of the dance music era, and then I got into that type of style. And then I started joining the bands at about 
12 years of age. Yeah, but all your family were uh, tied up with music. Uh, well, they still brothers. are. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, uh, DJ, he's still in Las Vegas. He's been there for 27 years. He went over there with Brendan Boyer and the Royal Showband, as they called themselves one time. Then they were the Big Eight, and they had so many different names. But they're now disbanded. So DJ, he does a one-man show in the Las Vegas vicinity around that area, Reno, Nevada, and our time into Los Angeles. Sometimes he hits the, uh, the East Coast. He might go to Boston and Philadelphia. Uh, he does that on full-time basis. Here in town, then I have two other brothers. There's John, who's, my brother John is a saxophone player. Then there's Alfie, who is the guitarist and bass player as well, plays banjo. They're still playing in a professional capacity as well as myself. So it's a family tradition. It certainly is, Morris. Like I said, going back to my, my mother and father at the time, going back to the 40s, uh, when my mother, like I said, was a fine singer, and my father, Joe, Joe Curtin, he was a lovely uh, button key player. So it, it seems to be in the genes. Well, it must have been quite interesting in your family home growing up with uh, your brothers and yourself playing away in the house. I mean, you must have... Uh, well, I can tell you, we were at one stage, we were in a house in Stacks Villas here in Chile. Uh, I almost forgot to mention my older brother, who's now deceased. He was a drummer. Everything was fine until he got a bloody kit of drums into the house. And that's when the ructions started. started. Then the neighbours were saying, Mrs. Curtin, please have you... <laughs> you know, I mean, like, this guy used to bang these drums. My mother said, will you take the bloody things out to the garden? Or take them out anywhere, but don't have them inside. But, uh, you know, with a young youngster trying to learn the drums, this noise is going to be there. And I'm sure that my mother, <laughs> her ears suffered <laughs> in later life over that. But we had a lot of fun with it. We had our own little bit of a band when we were about eight and nine years of age. He'd be tapping the drums. I'd be trying to play the tin whistle clarinet. Uh, Alfie'd be trying to pick a little bit on a little uh, mandolin or something. Just kicking around until we got into a professional capacity, of course, later years. You went to school here in Tralee as well? Yeah, uh, that's where I learned the tin whistle above there in the in Edward Street, the CBS in Edward Street. And I was there till I was about 12 or 13. And then there was a show came to town here. It was called the Roy Croft Variety Show. And uh, there was a competition. I, I went along to make a long story short. I won the competition. I think the prize was something like a pound. It was fantastic money. <laughs> uh, but he asked me, he said, how about you coming on the road with me for about six to eight months of the year? I do a road show. We do all the towns and cities in Ireland. I said, I'd love to do That's going to get me out of school. <laughs> so I said it to my mother, and she says, you better have a talk with Brother Healy, because he was the principal up there at the time. So I talked to him, but he says, I better speak with your mother. And she, she went up and put it on the line for him. She says, this man has offered, uh, he has offered Billy a job around the country, this, this show. And he said, he's very young to be leaving school. He's only, what, 12, 13 years of age. But he said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. He says, I'll have a word with Mr. Croft, his employer. I'll tell him, no matter where they go, he's going to have to go to school. That sounds like <laughs> this guy does a he does a different town every week. <laughs> so with the result that make it short for you, with the result that I joined the show anyway, with the result that every town and city we went to I was going to school for about a week in it. I don't know how many schools I went to in my life. <laughs> my goodness. So you're From Kerry to Donegal. I was aged about 12, 13 at that time. Yeah. Anyway, I'd walk into the classroom and all, I'd have all these strange faces. This could be a village in the middle of Tipperary and all these strange faces. That's the guy that was in the show last night. Did you see that show? What's he doing inside in our school? And the teacher would say, shh. 
He's a VIP. <laughs> Give him his book there to read it. The rest, do what we want. That went on. It was a lot of fun. It was an experience, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, done that for about, what, I suppose eight or nine months. After that, then, I came back to town and I joined the Kingdom Dance Band. They were a, a, a very popular band here at the time. They used to wear these lovely red jackets with the white shirt and the black bow tie and the black trousers and shoes and we used to play. Was that English. around the, say, the 1960s? No, that would be 1954. Would it be that? And uh, they were very popular. We used to play in the Ash and play in the CYMS and dance halls out the country and all that. And I loved every bit of this. I used to get about 10 shillings a night, which was, what, 50p? But that was a lot of money uh, 50 years ago. Mm. It was a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh, and my mother would say, Billy, have you any few bob for me after coming in? I would give her nine and sixpence and keep a tenner. That would be <laughs> 6p. <laughs> Going back again now, you were playing in a band when you were 12. 12, 12. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was before the Elvis Presley and before... It, 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 it was a time when music... Rock and roll wasn't even there at the time, was it? No, rock and roll hadn't. Bill Haley hadn't arrived. Elvis certainly hadn't arrived. It would have been the likes of Guy Mitchell. She wears red feathers and a hooli hooli. That type of thing was out at the time. Uh, now, the Glenn Miller era had, was around that, and that was great. You had Joe Loss, the big band style, Tate Heat, Joe Loss, um, the Glenn Miller type of thing, the American Patrol, In the Mood, all those type of things. And that was the type of stuff we were playing in the bands at the time. Like I say, it was pre-rock and roll era. Even country music hadn't made its way into this country at the time because we weren't being bombarded by uh, the American record scene, which we, which we are now. And I like country music, don't get me wrong. But what we were getting our music from at the time, we were listening to BBC radio, there was no RTE, it was big band music that came from London and other parts of England, and we heard that, and that's what we played in the dance halls, and people accepted it like that. Mm-hmm. And were you packing them in? I mean, were we were packing them in because at that time you had no other form of entertainment. There was no television. People, it, it wasn't. It wasn't here. Uh, radio was scarce. Uh, not, not everybody had a radio in the house, even for the Sunday matches. People would go into the neighbor's house and have a listen when Kerry were playing. Uh, the dance hall was a wonderful thing to have. It was the place where you went and you met people. You met your future wife, for that matter. Uh, there was no bars in them, so you went to a, a bar called a mineral bar. Now, if you mention a mineral bar today, especially the young generation, they would, they would think you were taking something to, to good for your body, like vitamins and minerals. But this, these were soft drinks. It was a soft drink bar in, in, in these ballrooms. And uh, they had red lemonade and orange squash and blah, blah. And I think a thing came in around 1954 called Coca-Cola. And all the boys made a rush for it because they heard you could get drunk on the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but then I went on with another band called Jimmy Rowan and his dance orchestra, a, a bigger band again. And again, this band went all over Ireland. We used to go up to Donegal, for God's sake. It used to take us 12 hours to get there in the cars at the time, in the vans. They didn't, they didn't have the luxury that we have today. But we would drive a long way up. We would go to Mayo, to the Marquis, uh, again, packing them in at these places. There weren't even toilets inside in these things. If you wanted to go to the loo, you just pulled up the canvas and went out the back, and nobody took a blind bit of notice, you know. <laughs> Done that for a while. That was all good fun, you know. I mean, like, uh, uh, then, I suppose, uh, it was shortly after that, then I headed for the States. I, I got a, an invite to go over and do a bit of a tour there, around the New York, Philadelphia area to do the Irish clubs. 
and I had a manager at the time here. His name was Eugene Powell, actually. He was local. He was a councillor here, a local councillor. He was a great character. He was a great character as well. So he set all this tour up, and away I went uh, over to New York. I went up to Shannon, and my mother came up to see me off, and I think my grandmother was there too, and a few neighbours. So we headed off. I got into this thing. I had never been in a plane in my life, and apparently this thing took me about 12, <laughs> 12 hours, 14 hours to get there. We went to a place called Newfoundland first, and then they went from Newfoundland to some part of Canada, and then from Canada all the way off to, well, they do it in the Mushot thing nowadays, but that was about 1956, I suppose, 55 or 6. I stayed there for about 12 months, and after that tour I came back again, and then I uh, went back again with the dance bands here again, and uh, oh, there were so many different bands. The Shamrock Dance Band I joined with at the time. What was the reception over there when you went over? Was it good? The, the reception? As well, I was, because I tell you, I, I, I was something like out of a circus. I was very small for my age. I think I, and my passport at the time said four foot, uh, four foot six or something. And I had short trousers on. And these people were looking up at this little, small little guy with this, uh, you can see the size of the saxophone. <laughs> I was much bigger than this thing, you know. And they used to see this thing hanging over me. This guy with a little short trousers and a pair of sandals. Jesus, how does he even hold the thing, you know. So I, uh, I'd done Chicago, I think I did, yeah, New York. I'd done Boston, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, uh, Hartford, Connecticut. And it went great. I loved it again. I mean, I'm a young guy of my age at the time, I mean, you're talking about a guy 13, 14 years of age. This was completely out of this world. I mean, who was going to get it? Like, and getting paid at the same time, <laughs> making money, you know. And uh, I, I, I came back after a year and then joined the bands here again in town. I'd done that for a little while. But uh, I got the itch. I went back over again. I went back to the States. I stayed for about five years the second time. When I went back there the second time, I did the serious stuff. I, uh, I well, I was I was sixteen then, and I uh, I got in with some of the big bands over there. I went traveling. I I done twenty two states worth of it, Morris. I uh, traveling, traveling nonstop, traveling all the time. I was with uh, some of the very big bands in the states at the time. That'd be uh, the late fifties. There was Dan Belloc and his dance orchestra. There were twenty two of us in that band. Incidentally, he's the guy who wrote "Pretend You're Happy When You're Blue." It isn't very hard. Him, he, himself and a co-writer, they wrote that. That, stings, that song still goes well. He gets a lot of money out of that, performing rights. I was with another uh, big name band over there called um, Johnny Tillotson's band, and he had a string of hits. He had Send Me the Pillow That You Dream On. He had Paper Roses, uh, Poetry in Motion. Oh, there were so many number ones that that guy had. Uh, I went down to... Uh, a place called the Peabody Hotel down in Memphis, Tennessee. Elvis, by the way, performed in that place. And uh, I played there for three months on the, in the rooftop restaurant with a big band. And I said to the band leader one day, I said, I think i got to take a holiday. i got to go home to see my mother, you know? He says, okay, Billy. He says, if you want to go, well, he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get on to the union. We'll replace you for, um, what would you like, a month? I said, give me a month. Well, I get a saxophone player in for a month. You get your return ticket, and we'll meet you back in New York in about a month's time. So I... I came back here, came into town here, liked to see all the guys after four or five years I was away. And, but there was a band playing at the CYMS one night and they were called the Swing Time Aces Show Band from Galway. Somebody came up to my house and they said, there's a band down there, that saxophone player is sick, would you ever go down and have a chat with them? So I went down, I met these guys, they said, would you perform with us on the night, tonight in the CYMS? I said, I certainly will. Make a long story short, I joined with that band and I didn't go back to the States. I went up to Galway and I was there then for four years. 
that was the Swing Time Aces show band. I then I went then to to the Regal uh, show with Declan Ryan and Cork. The Regal um, arrival show band in Cork with Declan Ryan. He had a big hit too with "I Need You," and I was there for a couple of more years. I'm back here in town oh, since about 1971 or two. Mm-hmm. And what I'm doing, I, what I'm doing, I'm doing now, <laughs> playing weddings and functions in the whole shebang. And I was you actually really got homesick, I think. Ah, uh, well, I I intended going back. I mean, Memphis was beautiful. I left there in the middle of June. It was ninety degrees. We were playing in the rooftop restaurant of the Peabody Hotel. It was absolutely beautiful. In fact, it was too hot. But I decided I'd get out for one month, just for the one month, because I, I saw one or two guys doing it. They'd say, look, Dan, let us get back to Chicago to see our wife for a month, you know, mm-hmm. or a week. So I, I'd say, these guys can do it. I'm going to go back to my place. Too. I'm going back to Tralee for a month. But as it worked out, when I met this band, these guys from Galway, I liked the show band scene. It seemed to be, it was different then. The dance band scene was gone then, and I hadn't seen the show band scene come on, come on and I liked it. The, the, the guys were standing up. They were really blasting out. Cliff Ridge was in. Elvis was after arriving on the scene, as was Bill Haley. And this was the show band scene, then starting in the 60s. And I, I said, I, I, I like this. And I stuck with it. In the early 60s, I was there till about, I was in Galway for, until about 1964. And that's when I went to Cork with the, the other show band, the, the real, arrival show band in Cork. Billy Curtin, it's time to choose another piece of music. All right. We'll try one on the clarinet this time for a change. Uh, I'm just going to look uh, at my... Well, before I play this one, Morris, I, I go back to the saxophone again. I was just mentioning there a few minutes ago that when the Bill Haley thing came in and the Elvis Presley thing, music trained, changed drastically from all that. Now, I give you a little slower a little while ago. Now, you'll hear a difference in the sound of the saxophone this time. I hope I don't blow your ears off. <laughs> I mean, we can go back, as we're talking about noise here, we can go back to the time in the, some of the old dance halls here in Tralee one time, there was a dance hall one time where there's a, a filling station today in a garage. That would be Connie Nolan's garage in North Circle Road. There was a big dance hall there one time. But there was no power there, and there was no uh, amplification hadn't come in at the time. There was no such thing as a microphone or a speaker or an amplifier. So the band would be playing there, again, the kingdom. This was before my time. No, this is going back to the late 40s. And uh, they would play their instruments. They had uh, two saxophones, a trumpet, two accordions, a bass fiddle, a piano, and a singer. Now, what did the singer do, you may ask? Okay, he had a big megaphone, and he'd hold it, and he'd scream as loud as he bloody well could into that thing. His name was Jackie Buggy. He'd, and hopefully that the song would get to the end of the hall, because there was no batteries or no nothing, until a guy arrived in Tralee here one time called Mike Fennell. He had a shop where Darrington's TV electrical is today. And he, this guy said, I can make an amplifier for a band. I can actually make one. And I can supply a microphone and a speaker. And he said to Paddy Landers, the band leader, would you like to try this in one of these halls here? And Paddy said, well, we've never come across this before. I don't think this is going to be on. He says, just try it. Just try this thing. Try an amplifier, a microphone, and a speaker. I go down to the hall the next night where you're playing. I set it up. And I, it was a battery. It was a, he was actually running it off a car battery, a 12-volt car battery. And 
the boys were really scared about this thing when they saw this, this, these wires going up. <laughs> so so it, uh, he said, when it comes to the part of the night when the crowd is in, I'm going to switch this thing on. I'm going then to announce your singer, Jackie Boggy. So at the time of the night arrived, the, packed, the place was packed to capacity, and Fennel walked over to the microphone, turned it on, and he spoke into it. The people were just amazed. They stood on the floor. They, what is happening here? There's, a, there's something up. There's a sound coming out from something. So he says, ladies and gentlemen, this is the first time in County Kerry, in the town of Tralee here, that you're listening to a microphone with a speaker and an amplifier driving it. I'd like you to listen to your singer that you've always heard here. He's not coming through a megaphone tonight. He's going to go through this thing. The crowd were enthralled. <laughs> then they were fainting on the floor. So Jackie Buggy, he walked up to the microphone. He was shaking like a leaf because he, he was scared of this microphone thing. So he, he went up there. He sang his song. Nobody danced nor moved. You could hear a pin drop in the place. They were there. They were, the girls were nearly fainting in front of <laughs> on the stage. It was so phenomenal mm-hmm. back in 1948 to have a band to play with a microphone. Your your life, of course, uh, has been constantly playing music. You're, you're, uh, oh. like you said, you're you're playing every every day or every evening now. And oh yes. That, yeah. Oh yeah. I I, I done one today now in Ballygarry. I'm t- tomorrow afternoon. I have to open up a. Uh, a new uh, hairdressing salon down in Church Street. I, I won't get the head in it all. <laughs> uh, and tomorrow night I'm up in Adair, up in the Adair Manor for a hotel. Uh, hotel. We're playing for a wedding up there. Uh, Sunday night I have a jam. It goes on. So it just goes on. It and goes, on. And goes on. on. Is there any style of music yourself that you prefer uh, more than another style? Well, there are so many different styles in music, uh, Morris, if I could just to bring you into the picture. I like every style of music. I think music is great if it's played properly. I just yeah. want to give you an example. Now, you, you have what we say called the modern jazz saxophone player. Really laid back, nightclub music, and it goes somewhere else. Sort of jazz. Now, now that's the kind of music I like myself. You like that? I that's laid back. Love that. Yeah. Now you'll have to shift your microphone away a little bit now, because okay. I'm going to mm. get that a little bit louder. This would be the dance dance music era, and we say, but it would be. What I really love, I love Boots Randolph. This is the guy who came out years ago and he had a thing called Yakety Sax. He calls this playing, he calls it Chicken Sax, this is called. I really love this. It's a, it, you can really let yourself go on it. It goes something like that. a lot of uh, wonderful people along the way 
great friends, I'd say, that you... you, you well, they were uh, going back, going back again to the, the old dance band era here in Tralee. Uh, there were some great characters in the band with us, in the Kingdom Band at the time. There was a guy called Drums Herity. He was a beautiful saxophone player. His name was Michael. His real name was Mike Herity. A uh, fabulous saxophone player, always impeccably, impeccably dressed, so better so than the rest of us. Uh, we'd be wearing the red jackets, where uh, drums, as we call them. He would come out wearing uh, oh, a lovely black tuxedo, and he was a cut above the rest in that regard. Lovely singer as well. Also in the band at the time, we had uh, our drummer at that time, is a guy called Herbert Corkery, and, and, and thankfully Herbert is still with us. Uh, we had Jack Leary, who lived in the top of the rock one time, Reedy's Terrace, played the trumpet. We had the famous Lander, Landers brothers. There was Paddy Landers. There was Terence Landers. And again, Terence is still around. Great ballroom dancer. We meet him time to time. Uh, oh, for God's sake. And I played with uh, Jimmy Rowan, was a fabulous musician. Uh, we, what we used to do at that time, when we didn't have enough musicians in Tralee, they used to import them from, from England. And we had Stan Lewis from London. We had Jack Lennon, who came from Liverpool. We had a, uh, a guy from Scotland by the name of, uh, oh, it eludes me now. But these were great people at the time, and they added a lot of colour to the town. Our town at the, at the time, our population was something like 12,000 people. So there, it, we were really a big village, and the, the locals got to know these blow-ins, and they said, oh, that's the guy there from London, he plays with Jimmy, and, and so-and-so. Oh, he plays with uh, Dennis Cronin's band, and blah, blah. Brian Burns was down from Belfast, and he was doing a big, strong line at the time with Doreen Shee, <laughs> and she was uh, the Rose of Trillier at one stage. Uh, people like that, Stan Lewis, and... Uh, and they were very popular guys in the town. We had a character who used to follow all these guys around. His name was Jorian Sullivan. Jorian Sock, they used to call this guy. Uh, he used to play the old, with the Gil Bryan band, and uh, he played a side drum. And he was always watching these guys in Tralee, these guys that used to play in the big bands, and who the hell were they, and how the come? Why couldn't he get a job in one of these big bands? Why, why am I playing with Gil Bryan all the bloody time when I can so every time he'd be marching down the street with the band and he'd see these guys, he used to beat the hell out of that drum just to let you see, Charlie, what I can play. And his <laughs> name was Jorian Sock. <laughs> but characters like that. Uh, we also had a guy called Balbo Fitzgerald. Balbo was a lovely saxophone player. They were all uh, great instrument, instrumentalists at the time. But most of them, a lot of them, uh, in fact, had gone to their reward. Because uh, I was very young at the time. I, like I say, I was only about, what, 12, 13 years of age. These guys would have been adults. So they're all gone to their rest, and I hope they're having a, a good time up there playing with the big brass band in the clouds. <laughs> Billy, you would have remembered as well uh, the, the Brandon when it was starting for the first time, and uh, uh, it, it must have been, you know, this, this was another great um, hotel coming into the town, and, and it brought down, it had a huge dance hall, and it brought in lots and lots of big bands. Well, I think that when the Brandon came to Tralee, it, it, it made it. And the Brandon was the making of Tralee in a way. It was the first big hotel we had. Because I, as I spoke to you earlier, we had the Manhattan out there. People used to go, that's Ballygarry. They used to go out there to have their function, they'd have their meal there. But this Brandon came on the scene then, and you had Dennis Foley. He was the, uh, booking the bands, and the Tommy Clifford and Billy Clifford, and, of course, the great John Burns. Now, they brought the big names 
the big name, Dennis Foley decided, let's do this thing right. We've got a capacity place inside here. We can hold 3,000 people. Let's fill it. Now, even to this day, the record has not been broken by the Royal Showband with Brendan Byer. I think it was 3,100 people. And that, has, that hasn't been broken since. And I, I don't think it ever will be, no, because the brand is cut down to a disco sort of style now. And, and, but at the time, it was one big open ballroom. I mean, it, the place was fantastic. You had the news facilities were in there. You had the balcony going all the way around. The big stage for the bands. The place was heated. There was a full bar in it. This thing had everything. This was the brand. And this, this was the making of the town of Trulli. It was the start of many hotels which were to come to follow. Mm-hmm. And thanks to Dennis Foley for all the good, nice things he done for us at the time. In fact, Dennis started the, the Kerry Blues with my brother DJ, my brother Alfie and John Curtin, uh, along with Tommy O'Connor, Johnny Wall, the mayor, Johnny. Uh, you had Bernie O'Connor. They were the original Kerry Blues. They were looking for a name one night in there, and they, they hadn't got the Kerry Blues name at the time. And Dennis Foley said, what the hell are we going to call you guys? You're coming on here every night. Before the big name bands come on, you're the warm-up band. You seem to be going down well. Uh, in fact, they went down so well that some of the big name bands were scared going on after them. So he said, what will we do? Uh, we, we find some kind of a name. Somebody had a pack of cigarettes and then Kerry Blue or something was written on it. And they thought, look, we call ourselves the Kerry Blues. And the name stuck. And it stuck. And it yeah, stuck yeah. with it. It was DJ and the Kerry Blues from that on. And, and they were there. Uh, they were the warm-up band for years. But eventually... They uh, went their own way and they, they became, uh, as we all know, they became national band then with DJ with all his number ones and all that before he, before he left to go to Las Vegas with Boyer. Mm-hmm. Great ambassadors as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Of music out of Trillian. <coughs> out of They were managed by a guy called Nielis O'Connell from Abbey Field who used to manage the Nevada show band, a lot of show bands at the time. Um, it was the show band era, wasn't it? was it? the show band era then. When the Brandon came in, it was the show band era. We were into the 60s then, you see. And uh, the show bands were in, in a very big way, you had the Dickie Rocks and the Red Hurleys, the Brendan Byers, you had the, the Capital show band and oh, so many named show bands. That, oh. But the Brandon always got the best of them. Dennis Foley only brought the best. He wouldn't bring any run-of-the-mill thing in there. It wouldn't be good for the place. It wouldn't be good for the image of the place. It had to be the best. And Dennis got only the best, Dennis Foley. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Dennis, again. <laughs> Billy, I want you to choose another bit of, bit of music, but before you do, before you do now, tell me, the Rose of Tralee, uh, of course, was another great uh, festival in the town. In the early days, it was it it must have been absolutely brilliant, and I'm sure you you played at many of the early uh, festivals, did you? Well, you see, before they got the dome that we put across in the Brandon Car Park, they used to have all their late shows in the old Theatre Royal. And uh, it's a bowling alley today, but that's where we used to have the festival club, and we'd have all the big functions were in there. Uh, we, the gay, that's, this was before Gay Byrne came down now to do the selection, and, and, and it was prior to RTE arriving. It was called Ronnie Hilton used to come down and do the MC on the night. We'd be playing there. It was an absolutely brilliant atmosphere. They would have a, uh, a license for the night, a, specific, a special license got for the place so they could serve drinks, alcoholic drinks. And uh, that would go on till three, four, maybe five o'clock in the morning. Now, they also did a little bit of that in the ash at one stage. But then the time came where they needed a bigger space. And that's where the dome came in. 
and that then went into the Brandon Car Park and all the big functions. And since that time, they're still being held there. The Rosa Trulli, just getting back to it briefly there, I was very appreciative in 1989 where the committee came along. They gave me a big presentation over one day in Ballygarry Hotel and they presented me with a golden rose for the uh, the few things. I, I didn't do a lot for them. I, as far as I'm concerned, I couldn't. Do, I, I, would have, I should have done a lot more, but I, haven't got, I hadn't the time. But I'd done what I could for the committee with this, that and the other different functions and they presented me with this and I was very humbled by it and I really appreciated it and I still do to this day. But Billy, now I want you to choose another piece of music that you would have played. And uh, what I'll do for we here, um, I'll just get down to my saxophone now, nice and sweet, nice and soft. So you won't have to move that far away with the microphone. Absolutely, that brings me so far back. I can see myself waltzing around the ballroom floor. <laughs> well, no, Morris, I didn't think you were that old. <laughs> that was the great one there a few years back by the Furies mm. when you were sweet 16. But I thought I'd just try it on the alto sax to see what it can. I was going to try it on the clarinet. Let's just try it. We'll see what it would do. We'll just do that. Okay, and we'll see how, how, how it sounds on I this. I love that sound. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. try it. See, just again, going back to the different I can see styles. everybody at home now, just waltzing around the kitchen floor. Yeah, yeah.
No, they're so beautiful. I mean, that that, that sound is even uh, is every bit as lovely as as the saxophone. Well, it's in a it's a much higher pitched instrument. About the saxophone, the guy who invented it, his name was Adolf Sax. He was from Blenheim in, in Germany, about a hundred years ago, and he used to play a clarinet. And he is, he also liked the sound of a trumpet, but he knew he could never play one of these trumpets with the three valves. So he says, if I could invent something that would sound a little bit like a trumpet, but not quite a clarinet, <laughs> I might sound like a trumpet player. So he messed around for a long time with different shapes and sizes, and he came up with what we know today is what I call a saxophone. He's, like I say, his name was Adolf Sax. Uh, the saxophone... It was a very, it's a very adaptable instrument. It's never used, of course, in, in, uh, in classical orchestras. You'd never see it in a symphony orchestra or uh, something like, um, anything like a light orchestra or, or, or a, we say, anything ballet or operatic. You'll never see a saxophone player there, whereas you will see clarinets and oboes, concert flutes. The saxophone... It is regarded. It was regarded at the time by, by the, the music or the, the, the wigs, they called it, a sort of, for the want of an, a better word, a bastardized instrument. It was neither a trumpet nor a clarinet. It wasn't here nor there. It was an invention of this guy called Adolf Sachs, and they just didn't like it. But it really caught on in Germany. The, the clarinet players, they went along and bought it. It was manufactured. It then made its way to the United States. And the, the players started to take it up. It really played jazz stuff. Then it went on to the different uh, types of music, and you could hear there today where it can play any style, and really on it, from old Irish airs to modern jazz, to swing, to bebop, to anything. Mm -hmm. So I think he was a very good inventor, this adult sax. <laughs> but every time I hear the saxophone, it reminds me of, of, of jazz. It's, it's a jazz instrument in a big way, isn't it? Well, it, it, it has a very major part to play in jazz music, and it has down through the years. But then again, this guy, like I was saying earlier, this guy Boots Randolph, he does not play any jazz of any type whatsoever. He plays what, what he calls chicken sax. This would be the, the, the yakety sax. He, that's the type of stuff that he does on it. And I like that, that, that aspect of it. And again, like I say, Morris, it, it's not exclusively for jazz there. And I, I, a little later now, I'll do another old Irish air on it again for you. And you can see how adaptable it is. Mm. Can you sing? Well, I do a little, but I don't think I will do it tonight because my throat, after that last cigarette I've just had, I think, <laughs> and after today's session at the wedding and tomorrow, I think I leave the singing out for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stay with the instruments tonight, Morris. You recently lost a good friend in, in uh, a man, uh, another truly man, Michael Donovan. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, uh, Morris, because we've been playing sessions with Michael Donovan on and off for the last 30 years here in Tralee. This guy made the, the, the jazz sessions here in Tralee. Started really, I suppose, in the Brandon Hotel. Again, Dennis Foley booked him into the bar in the Brandon Hotel about 30 years ago. Sunday morning, half past 12 to half past two. Place packed to the doors. And we used to play Dixieland jazz. Michael was the great jazz singer. Great MC out there in front. Done that for a few years, then went to the Brogue, to Billy Kirby, done it in there on Sunday morning. Again, packed the Rose Tavern again on Sundays, packed it again with Jimmy Kelly. And then, as the years went by, we ended up in the Greyhound Bar, which we're, we're still there every Sunday. 
And sorry to, to say, but Mike is not with us. He's there with us in spirit every Sunday. We know that we've got fabulous pictures of him behind the wall where we play. We have lovely portraits of him. We have um, his daughter comes in once in a while, makes sure that they're nicely kept and polished and the frames. And it's a kind of a little corner in there that we have. And Mike is part of the band there every Sunday. And we still do the, the numbers that he would sing. Uh, his favourite numbers of course being the Frank Sinatra style stuff that he used to do we do those and a few more with of course and uh, all the stuff that we do today we can thank Michael Donovan for quite a lot of it and another thing, the thing I'll say about Mike is that as the years were going on youngsters in Tralee would be coming up trying to learn an instrument like a clarinet a trumpet, a saxophone, a guitar for that, anything, drums and Michael said, look, you're welcome to come down. Join us any Sunday in the Brandon or wherever it was. Could be the Greyhound Bar or the Rose Tavern. Come down, sit in, don't be shy. The guys are there. Billy Curtin is there. Sean Power is there. And uh, Paddy Conway. The boys are there. Look, nobody will slag you. You're welcome to sit in. You're going to learn new music. They're listening to these guys. Make mistakes. You won't be put down for it. You're not going to be thrown out in your ear. Just sit down. And subsequently, we've had some fabulous musicians in the last 30 years came out of that. There's uh, one that comes to mind is a guy called Massey O'Shea. Now, Massey is a, a son of the, the great footballer, Tarney O'Shea, John Tarney O'Shea. Massey started playing in the Brandon about uh, 20 years ago. He was just a 16-year-old guy, 15-year-old guy. Wanted to learn that saxophone. Came in with Michael Donovan's band. So Massey's one of the finest saxophone players today in Ireland. Mm -hmm. I, I'd rate Massey up there with the best of these guys in Dublin. And, all. and there was a beautiful guitar player, lovely in town again, a guy called young Tommy Duggan, learned all his stuff with the Michael Donovan band. Uh, we have a lovely keyboard playing the keyboard player joining us now. He's 16 years of age, a lad called Raymond Considine. Uh, he's playing the saxophone, the clarinet, the keyboards. We've got a young drummer. He's 18 years of age, Darren Power. They're learning their instruments all the time through that band. Now, I don't believe any other band anywhere would allow this type of thing to go on because it, it sort of would interfere with their, their show, their program, or whatever they wanted to do. But Michael Donovan always said, you're welcome, guys. Come down. Join us. Billy, will you give me a taste of, of a bit of jazz music? I, I'll give you a bit of taste this time of uh, Dixieland jazz on the clarinet. Now, so you'll have to move away again with that <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm overloading. I can't get over this. He's got to get it right. You get it right. Are you ready?
In all the years you're playing music, do you ever get tired of it? I mean, is it something that... Do you still get that buzz when you're on the stage? Oh, certainly. The public, yeah. I, uh, Morris, I get the buzz all the time. Just don't ask me to get out of bed and play music in the morning. <laughs> uh, you can ask me any time at night, 12 o'clock at night, 2 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, but don't ask me to get up at 8 and play music. I'd say, bye-bye, Morris. <laughs> I won't do it. <laughs> I'm what they call... I swear, I, I get back to party O'Shea and this. I'm, I'm an animal. I'm a nocturnal animal. <laughs> I'm out all bloody night. <laughs> So uh, that's, that's me. Uh, I'm an nocturnal animal. I'm an, uh, a musician at heart. And I keep st- uh, blowing this thing and I still get a great buzz from the whole thing. Billy Curtin, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. It's been lovely talking to you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Billy Curtin and his full interview is available on Irish Life and Lore. Myself and my wife, Jane, run Irish Life and Lore. It's an organisation which is dedicated to collecting and archiving oral history. And we've been doing this for 30 years. And we depend on you for sponsorship. And if you would like to do that, you can do so by going to Irish Life and Lore and finding the correct page. I'm Maurice O'Keefe and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.